When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're looking to get a new car, you could really cut expenses by bundling your car and renter's insurance with Progressive. Sure, you love your old car, but you know it's not normal to give instructions on how to open the window. It should be self-explanatory, but it's not. And notice how when you're in other people's cars, you can feel cushion in the seats? That's pretty nice, right? No, it's just normal. So bundle your renter's and car insurance with Progressive and put the savings toward a new car. It's time. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Dylan was, he was a revolutionary, man. The way that, the way that Elvis freed your body, Bob freed your mind. This is Bob Dylan, about man and God and law. ago, a set of letters came to light. The correspondence between Bob Dylan and his friend from back home in Minnesota, Tony Glover, a musician and writer. Glover saved those letters, and when he died, they came to us. We can't help it if we're lucky. Buried in one of them is the answer to a mystery about the source and intent of Bob Dylan's name itself, about Dylan himself. Born Robert Allen Zimmerman, how did he become Bob Dylan? How did he become someone else? someone new. For one thing, Dylan says, when he was coming up, just like performers from Alan Stewart Konigsberg, aka Woody Allen, to Jerome Silberman, aka Gene Wilder, it was assumed that having a Jewish name like Zimmerman attracted exactly the wrong kind of attention in show business. Secondly, even though it's been said that young Robert Zimmerman dug Matt Dylan of Gunsmoke, it was not Dylan with an I-L-L that caught Emergent Bob's nominal fancy, but rather Dylan Thomas, deaf Welsh poet, Dylan with a Y, or a W-H-Y, who inspired the new name. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they 
Do not go gentle into that good night. Good men the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now, with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Dylan Thomas, he of the dying of the light, he of the raging against the dying of the light, even as he drank and mistreated himself straight out of the light and died at the age of 39 in St. Vincent's Hospital in Greenwich Village in Manhattan, just seven years before Dylan made his name there for himself and with a Y just down the street. Few subjects in human history, perhaps love, maybe God, have garnered more poetic attention than the subject of death. Last time, in episode 6, Teachers, we explored the obsessive learning Dylan has followed on his path as an artist. The music that drew Dylan in, especially the sounds of traditional blues, folk, gospel, and country that urged forth rock and roll, these musics overflow with death. Murder ballads good and bad, dying young, plagues and wars, and all kinds of bargaining for salvation in the definitively limited passageway of life. Dylan took in all of these musical mortal concerns, and it shaped his art. Now, we also know from the snippets we cited from his Nobel lecture last time, and just plain paying attention, that literature from the classical Greco-Roman writers, the Bible, Dante, Shakespeare, Blake, Whitman, and, and yes the occasional Civil War-era poet, or Japanese gangster novel, too, that these words Dylan soaked up and soaked in invite death, inevitably, to ride shotgun with all of his work. He not busy being born is busy dying, and yes, Dylan takes in what society's most curious and supple minds have meditated upon for millennia, death sting goading forward all of them. Of course, it doesn't take a poetic inclination to know a little bit about death's sting. Dylan knows just like every one of us that we all have three things in common. Birth, taxes, and death. All humans are pre-programmed for a paradoxical relationship with our inevitable, irreversible exit stage right. We wonder and worry about mortality. We're obligated to witness it, particularly as we age, and we are really good at doing all that we can to avoid thinking about it altogether when we're just too busy being born. 
One half of life, sometimes the better half, but not always, is simply living, thriving, or just plain surviving in pursuit of enough money and food and love and shelter and work and family and health, no small matter these days, to stay in the world. But the other half of life, much more than half for some, the half that has captured the sounds and words of our greatest spiritual creators, well, it entails wrestling with finding purpose within the finite time one is granted upon this earth. How do we sing, write, dream, pray, conspire, convene, connect, perform, and rage, rage against the dying of the light with some satisfaction, some peace, some grace? to find graciousness in the struggle, to find peace in the endless array of doing that life requires, and to be before one is dead, and in terms we'll visit soon, grateful. As a deaf fry poet Dylan loved by the name of Warren Zevon once said, there are a lot of things to do in Denver when you're dead. And there is this opening meditation from the ever-deaf Inferno, which surely inspired them both. Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward pathway had been lost. How hard a thing it is to say, what was this forest savage, rough, and stern, which in the very thought renews the fear. So bitter is it, death is little more, but of the good to treat, which there I found, speak will I of the other things I saw there. Today and tomorrow, and yesterday too, the flowers are dying like all things do. Follow me close, I'm going to Bali and Ali. I'll lose my mind if you don't come with me I fuss with my hair and I fight blood feuds I contain multitudes Today and tomorrow and yesterday too The flowers are dying like all things do What can we do? What should we do? With, with a world as open and closed as all of that with time on the clock ticking down, with the end always in sight. Oh, death, where's thy sting? It's these questions and more we hope to answer. I paint landscapes and I paint dudes. I contain multitudes. You'd better pack lightly and say your goodbyes, just in case. You won't need a cab to find a priest, but maybe you should find a place to stay, some place where they never change the sheets. I'm Stephen Daniel Arnoff. Welcome to episode 7 of Bob Dylan, about man and God and law. Dylan and the dead. Oh, well, I cannot frolic with all the young dudes. I contain a multitude. Just like Anne Frank. Well, there's one kind of favor I'll ask of you. Well, there's one kind of favor I'll ask of you. There's just one kind of favor I'll ask of you. 
You can't see that my grave is kept clean. To quote another deaf poet, Mel Brooks, what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Why? Why? Is a 20-year-old freshly named Bob Dylan with a Y singing about keeping his grave kept clean and fixing to die and his time of dying on his very first album aptly called Bob Dylan? We understand that the death inlaid into the music he loved, those Themes are everywhere in traditional music, no less so in rock and roll, teens crashing their cars on an empty highway, and Buddy Holly, who we've discussed a few times already, seemingly blessing Dylan from above him on stage just days before Holly's death. We know that music did the work, did the molding, did the poetic propaganda about mortality. We also know the formative impact of literature on Dylan, as we've mentioned, highlighted in that Nobel lecture, particularly with regard to the carnage of the young in All Quiet on the Western Front. And we can also look to Dylan's roots and to the mines, the isolation and cold of the Iron Range, those open spaces, the Midwestern laconic, the unsaid fears and anxieties of Minnesota nice, a kind of masked Puritan silence. Greel Marcus attempts to animate in his riffs on Clothesline Saga from the Basement Tapes as an answer song to Ode to Billy Joe, in which death is screaming at families and neighbors on mute as everyone around the supper table or out in the yard is talking about the weather. But there's another take which explains the ultimate give and take of Dylan and death that transcends biography even though biography and chemistry and destiny surely play a role in whatever choice or no choice Dylan makes about the topics that drive him. This is a theme highlighted powerfully by scholar and colleague Richard Thomas, who teaches Dylan through the lens of his epic knowledge of classical poetry and wrote the highly recommended book, Why Dylan Matters, up in the green pastures of Harvard University. This theme is one that Dylan himself, or rather himself, is offered as explanation for, well, just about everything. Transfiguration. We direct you to Richard's stellar book for an erudite but accessible explanation and a lot of beautiful speculation on Dylan and Transfiguration. And in fact, we're looking forward to a conversation with him in our next episode. So stay tuned for that. The short version of Thomas's external answer to the eternal questions about Dylan and death and Transfiguration is this. Buddy Holly. <laughs> Arthur Rambeau. A hell's angel by the name of Bobby Zimmerman, who died in a motorcycle crash in 1961, or 1964. Julius Caesar, Aristotle, Dante, JFK, and Bridget Bardot. The thing about it is that there is the old and the new, Dylan said in a 2012 interview with Mikhail Gilmore that we enjoyed part of back in our Art of Memory episode. And you have to connect with them both. The old goes out, the new comes in, but there is no sharp borderline. 
The old is still happening while the new enters the scene, sometimes unnoticed. The new is overlapping at the same time the old is weakening its hold. It goes on and on like that, forever, through the centuries. Right. Transfiguration. Not the biblical version, not the transfiguration, rather an understanding that time sort of all happens at once, that time is fluid, that its oceanic ebb and flow merges and melds all matter, old and new, past and present, and that this is especially true in identities themselves and their contact tracing of existence, marked by art, history, words, music, or any embodied purpose. I is another, said Rambeau. Change your shirt, change your life, said Tom Waits. In other words, our bodies embody ideas, feelings, experiences, consciousness, and all of this travels. Souls catch the matter. Souls are the matter. What's the matter? Well, maybe in some sense there is no I, and no one, not even Dylan with a Y, knows why. Identity is fleeting, if it even is at all. For an artist like Dylan, happy to think of himself as previous to himself, delighted to be impervious to what others might think about this or him blowing in the cultural wind past what Richard Thomas cites as illusion, reference, plagiarism, and intertextuality, transfiguration means that the sum total of anyone's intellectual parts is not really their own beyond the moment when a shaper or embodier of these ideas puts them together, in verse, in art. Even the greatest artist is a kind of catcher in the rye for all that could be said, whether she or he knows it or not. Death may be stark, blunt, dark, relentless, and expected on the Iron Range, but once the imagination opens to the possibilities of being a vessel for all those who bobbed and wove away from death's sting, a kind of immortality graces the artist. The artist's work habits and awareness can control this phenomena to some extent, but really, she or he is just a very attuned, very aware vessel for an eternity of ideas and ways that flow through them. Everything passes. Everything changes. Do what you think you should do, Dylan once sang to Ramona. And if what you really think you should do is transmigrational art, maybe this in itself, in and of yourself, is already a way to opt out of death itself. God that does wondrously, give us pardon as the closing hour approaches. You in penitence they seek, O oh, regard their anguished cry as the closing hour approaches. Pouring out their souls to you, clear their crimes and grant them pardon as the closing hour approaches. Bisha'at ha'ne'ilah. So says Moses ibn Ezra, 
deaf Grenadan Jewish poet of the 11th century and an intellectual giant of the Golden Age of Spain whose influence spanned Jewish and Arabic cultural milieu at a time when they were all living in the same philosophical intellectual house. Ibn Ezra's penitential prayer still sung around the world more than 900 years later during Ni'ilah, the final liturgical stage of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he cries out to the divine for one more chance to live in the divine graces with forgiveness, lest the gates of heaven and divine mercy close. Please, Mrs. Henry, Moses Ibn Ezra says, let us try to get to heaven before they close the door. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. Marcus, what happened? I was changing my oil and I spilled some on the floor. Oh, we'll use these $50 bills to wipe it up. Perfect. Got any more? Yeah, yeah, take a couple hundred. Stop. Instead of using money, use an old rag. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Maybe Dylan knows about Ibn Ezra's teenage prayer, and maybe he doesn't. Maybe the thought of atonement and mercy crossed Dylan's mind at some point in his composing or transfiguring of an ancient idea we've already seen in episode 4, Before the Law, with Kafka and a guy named Senor. And maybe it didn't. As a great poet once said, but it doesn't matter. Ideas and longings, if they are truly universal, don't need no stinking badges, no passports, no watches, and certainly not a singular vessel in which they reside, like a midnight rider or a tomb that humanity itself cannot get out of its head. The idea of trying to get to heaven before they close the door has no real beginning or end. It plants itself on someone's lips as fleetingly as a kiss, and then off to the airwaves it flies, looking for another set of lips. Black pendulums swinging on chains When you think that you've lost everything You find out you can always lose a little more I'm just going down the road feeling bad Trying to get to heaven before they close the door Yeah. 
sweet pretty things on Vietnam course The city fathers they're trying to endorse The reincarnation of Paul Revere's horse But the town has no need to be nervous But what about the rage in Raging Against the Dying of the Light? We can sit back and groove as receivers and conveyors on the conveyor belt of cultural time and purpose in feeling as Dylan and Warren Zevon and Steely Dan said, time out of mind. Mama's in a factory, she ain't got no shoes. Daddy's in the alley, he's looking for food. I'm in the kitchen where the tombstone blues. These are precisely the Tombstone Blues. In fact, considering our speculations about transfiguration, it's interesting that in this song of Tombstones that the City Fathers, they're trying to endorse the reincarnation of Paul Revere's horse. Maybe this is precisely the difference between so-called plagiarism, flat-out stealing an idea, and the creative lives of the poets that demand constant embodiment and re-embodiment of content in order to bring it to new places. When reincarnation is about power, politics, and running people over with a message, well, that's Paul Revere's horse. That scene falls flat. It only really works to reincarnate something if you plan to set it free once the work is done. So Dylan watches all of these candidates for cultural return roll by in Tombstone Blues, the ghost of Belle Star, Jezebel, Jack the Ripper, who happens to sit at the head of the Chamber of Commerce, to name a few. And Dylan stealthily, cleverly rages and rollicks through the night about it all. He's blasting through the cemetery, or at least the dead space of his mind, his neighborhood, while his family is barely hanging on. Mama's in the factory. She ain't got no shoes. Daddy's in the alley. He's looking for food. I'm in the kitchen with the tombstone blues. Dylan's restless deaf poet is trying to cook up something. But even hooking up the absolutely heavenly dream team of Ma Rainey and Beethoven unwrapping a bedroll won't help when the National Bank, as he sings, at a profit, he says, sells roadmaps for the soul to the old folks' home and the college. See, there's nothing he can do about that. Their age means nothing. Soullessness seems to be the only thing everyone has in common. But a prearranged, synthetic soul manufactured by the bank sounds like death. No soul, no life, whether young or old. And this sounds like Dante's purgatory. Like the circles of hell, where the half-dead or the should-be-dead or the wish-they-were-dead already are stuck in time. Timeless and soulless, while Dylan, the traveler, the transfigurer, he's got to both describe the scene he sees and get the hell out of there, just like Dante's blues. I'm in trouble with the tombstone blues. It's the tombstone blues. Well, you go back to the blackboard and stop bugging me now. I'm going to talk to him. I've got a customer in the back. All right, put the choir on for ten minutes. What is it? What is it? You'll never guess who's here. Who's here? You're going to... 
you're not going to believe me. Um, you're going to think I've been drinking. All right, who's here? Christ and Moses. Are you putting me on now? I'm telling you they're here. Are you sure it's them? Well, I've just seen them in pictures, but I'm pretty sure it's them. Uh, There are a lot of dead lost in the old folks' home and the college, soulless, in mixed-up confusion, and then there are those whose presence, after they have died, only gets stronger, more transformative, more inspiring, even as it forces one to cry real tears. The list of Bob Dylan's beloved Departed Not Departed is long. Lenny Bruce the brother that you never had from Shot of Love, John Lennon on Tempest, where Dylan sings as transfiguratively as they come and go. The sooner you go, the quicker you'll be back. You've been cooped up on an island far too long. Shine your light, moving on. You burn so bright. Roll on, John. Lenny Bruce, John Lennon, Bob Dylan, it's an open invitation to brotherly merging of souls, the living mourning, the dead with praise, longing, and a kind of certainty that they're never really gone. And then there's Emmett Hill and Hattie Carroll, real martyrs whose spirit demands singing for justice, or Joey Gallo, the anti-hero mafioso who joins the Godfather, Goodfellas, Sopranos, Irishman twist with a model of nobility and courage and death despite his nasty outlaw ways. And then there's Murder Most Foul, with its litanies within litanies of musicians, living and dead, all adding up in all of their musical soulfulness to an elegy for JFK, who seems to represent or embody in Dylan's imagination a soul so large it can carry a generation and then leave it completely bereft with memories and paradoxes that without music would be too heavy to bear. They said that he was sick Cause he didn't play by the Looks like tomorrow is coming on the 
When you're dead, you find out something only dead men know. That's what Silvio carries. Silvio, written with Robert Hunter and played with Jerry Garcia of The Grateful Dead. We'll be hearing about The Grateful Dead in a moment. But this idea that only the dead can truly understand and appreciate life, can only truly be grateful, or at least inspire grace and graciousness next to godliness, it's all over Dylan's canon. Even more importantly, it's how Dylan shares how he understands life in Mourning the Dead, a ritual repeated often in recent years as Dylan memorializes artists who have passed. We mentioned Dylan's eulogy for Johnny Cash in the Teachers episode, but he shared words on so many others as well. Merle Haggard, Bobby V, Little Richard. But the most famous eulogy Dylan ever offered for a peer, offered as it was long before the now inevitable march to the back pages of the paper for a generation of classic rockers not felt young, well, that was for the most grateful dead of them all, Jerry Garcia. There's no way to measure his greatness as a person or as a player, Dylan said. I don't think eulogizing will do him justice. He was that great, much more than a superb musician with an uncanny ear and dexterity. He is the very spirit personified of whatever is Muddy River country at its core and screams up into the spheres. Personification, a greatness that goes beyond description. Jerry is the earth itself. His voice screams up to the spheres like Abel's blood cries out to the divine after Cain slew him in humanity's first murder ballad in the book of Genesis. Jerry was, for Dylan, a colleague whose light defines the friend and co-conspirator viewing him. That's Bob Dylan. But also, Jerry nearly defies description. Only death sets these feelings free, just as it sets free the soulful inheritance that the body held for all who follow. common story of the Grateful Dead, title of the myth the band picked out of the lexicon one day when one of Jerry's fingers found its way randomly to the right page, that story involves a traveler who finds a corpse of a person who never received a proper burial, typically as a result of an unpaid debt. The traveler then either pays off the dead person's debt or pays for the burial. There's a reward for this deed, though, which comes only later when the Good Samaritan's life is saved by a person or animal who is actually the transfigured soul of that Grateful Dead one. It would take close to forever to tell a reasonably rich tale about the Grateful Dead, but the story of Dylan and the Dead was actually both long and short. 
long in the sense that the dead gratefully played Dylan tunes throughout their career, with the best living dead versions of his tunes coming from Jerry or the Jerry Garcia band, versions of Tangled Up in Blue, Going Going Gone, or Senor that give even more soul to some of Dylan's most profound compositions. In the short version of the story of Dylan and the Dead were their six concerts that they played together. They'd rehearsed up to 80 songs prior to the performances, both Dylan's and others, and then went their separate ways for a month and a half and forgot most of them, playing only six times to mixed reviews. It was a sleepy time in Dylan's career in the 1980s, some might say, and also a waking dream time of classic rock royalty come together, like Ma Rainey and Beethoven, you might say, long before the Desert Dream took all of the remaining classic rockers and put them on one stage together. Well, the Dylan and the Dead tour, some say it never really lived up to its potential or found the right ears. The sleeper came awake, the hippie Rip Van Winkle waking up in Reagan's America, the deadhead business suddenly booming thanks to Touch of Grey and MTV, and in certain ways no one really recognizing what they had, not the artists and not the fans. of late antiquity from some 1800 years ago, which really isn't that far into the past when you think in terms of soul and transfiguration. It's said that sleep is one sixtieth of death. Stories of the sleeper, be it Jonah who rises to his purpose to go to Nineveh after a deep sleep in the giant fish, only to be disappointed by the all too forgiving divine will or Rip Van Winkle, who misses out on the American Revolution and realizes he can never get back in tune with the times. Sleep and dreams. They preview the tenuous grip on life, even when we are living. Now, we cannot control our dreams or our subconscious, but does our subconscious control us? While their masterful musicianship became a trademark, the dead the Grateful Dead, made their name first and foremost as soundtrack trippers for an escape from the drudgery of embodied existence into the limitlessness of psychedelia. Escape, revelation, release, return, the acid test, borderlessness, boundlessness, much more than one sixtieth of death. And then, coming back grateful. And yet Jerry Garcia in particular is said to have carried so much pain. Why else did he head to heroin from the highs and lows of LSD? The dead songs are obviously full of dark angels, lost ghosts, murder, an underbelly of fears despite the sheer joy in their playing. This is the dichotomy of their name and their essence. Grateful, gracious, 
race, but only because of death, the ultimate test for the acids, fats, fluids, minerals, and other viscera that house our souls. We expect that part of Dylan's love of Jerry Garcia was musical and, of course, personal, just as he says, but also for Jerry's innate ability to enter into the muddy river, to be muddy, to sink to and with the spheres in a way that, like Silvio, only dead men know, but the wisdom and grace that only returning to the transmigratory pool allows. And here is yet another of the miracles of Bob Dylan. Like Dante and Shakespeare and William Blake, he carries this grateful wonder like the dead, this curiosity, perhaps their curiosity, into the journeys to the valley of death, and he lives through the song to tell the tale. This is knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. This is Isis. This is ain't talking. This is Nettie Moore. This is no time to think. This is trying to get to heaven before they close the door. And this is maybe best told in Tangled Up in Blue. We all know that no one gets out of here alive. The great and the grateful artist knows this too, and seeks it, and prods it, visits, finds his or her Virgil or Jerry Garcia, and migrates to that boundless, unearthly realm, and then comes back again and again in her or his form or as another form to live to tell that tale, which is to give back life itself to those who hear it. In death you live life, says Dylan in No Time to Think, for this life lived, a celebration in spite of death. We are all ever so grateful. This has been episode 7 of Bob Dylan about man and God and law. We are proud to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Listen to all of Pantheon's music podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. Find us at mangodlaw.com for playlists, clips, and details in every single one of our episodes. Rate us, subscribe, and share podcasts are found it really helps our project to grow next time we'll be speaking with professor richard thomas of harvard university about his wonderful book why dylan matters and dig deep into the layers of dylan's dialogue with poets of the classical world then season one ends with episode eight on the range sweet sweet and everyone's favorite place to be bob dylan stay tuned for that too and stay safe I'm Steve Jane Arnoff. Thanks for coming. See you soon. Things to do in Denver when you die. You won't need a cat to find a priest. Maybe you should find a place to stay. Some place where they never change the sheets. And you just fool around Denver.
And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. Marcus, what happened? I was changing my oil and I spilled some on the floor. Oh, we'll use these $50 bills to wipe it up. Perfect. Got any more? Yeah, yeah, take a couple hundred. Stop. Instead of using money, use an old rag. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 